everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and today we will be doing something a little bit different. I'm actually going to be out on vacation, and so <clears throat> what we will be doing is playing an interview that I did with the Vital Masculinity Podcast, and so it's less of an interview and more of a discussion back and forth for the most part. But I think it was a really great, productive conversation with those guys. And if you're interested and you like what they're doing, they're at vitalmasculinity.org. Definitely go there, check them out, see what's going on on their end. And let me know what you think, because I'd like to do more dialogues like this, have more conversations going. So if there's podcasts out there that are listening to me, that are people out there listening who have something to say, you know, I would say that. Steven, Brian, and I are all pretty average guys for the most part. We just happen to have a podcast. And so for anyone out there who's another average person who wants to have a conversation about things that they're passionate about, I'd always love to do that and hear more and have a nice little back and forth and be able to put that up on the podcast and bring in new ideas and new people. So with that, I will hand this over to them to introduce it and get everything going. But before... I do that, actually. I want to remind you that if you go to conversationforgeneration.com, you can find me and other things that I've done, my book reviews, videos, podcasts, blogs, everything there. You can go to facebook.com slash conversationofourgeneration, Twitter at conofourgen, or parlor at conversationofourgeneration to uh, follow me and keep up with everything that's going on here on the blog and the podcast. And then lastly, go to conversationfiregeneration.com slash podcast to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and keep enjoying my vacation as you're listening to this, but I want to make sure to give this to you as well this week. So check out this conversation with Stephen and Brian from the Vital Masculinity Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Vital Masculinity Podcast. This is Stephen Sloyer, and as always, I am joined in the co-host chair, or the host chair, I should say, with uh, my good friend Brian Murphy. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, warming up here in Rochester. It's 60 degrees today, uh, nice and sunny. I think we should probably continue the trend of having, like, you know, this is week, what, 20? five of lockdown or whatever it's been it's been so long but for all the people that uh are listening in the future however long this has been going on this is the uh, COVID 19 pandemic and all of the the fun and i'm using air quotes right now uh <laughs> results uh, of of that sort of thing but uh I, th- I think we probably will talk about that tonight because uh we actually have a very special guest on which you may recognize all you dear listeners out there it is uh nick jamel who has contributed to our site a little bit and uh is the uh host of the uh conversation of our generation so welcome to the show nick Hey guys, thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, yeah, me too. Absolutely. So, so Nick, just for all the people that have not visited your wonderful website, which we are without a doubt linking to below, uh, how about you give your uh, give the audience, I should say, a uh, little bit of info about yourself? Yeah. So I started the Conversation Park Generation uh, probably two, three years ago now. Just looking out there and saying that there was just Right after Trump's election and everything, I was trying to figure out what I believe because I really didn't know. And I saw just back and forth and back and forth about 
basically partisan politics going. And I just thought, this doesn't really gel with what I believe. And so I started exploring what I believe. And then a couple of years down the road, I decided to start this to really start putting my ideas out there and testing them. Um, it actually started off because I wanted to move into digital marketing. I was a marketing student and I thought, you know what, I'll just put up a website, you know, start a Facebook and just start testing out some of these tools that I'm learning about in class. And that's really what it started was, was just kind of a little project for me to enjoy and uh, turn into kind of, then I want to try podcasting, see how that went and just expanded. And so now it's been a couple of years of just having these conversations and being able to put my ideas out there and find new people like you guys to really, really expand and who are really thinking about the topics at a deeper level than partisanship. And I think that that's really what we need to do is dive into really the underlying beliefs and why you believe what you believe and test what you believe out there in the world. I think that's great. You know, a lot, a lot of people, especially a lot of young men, because, you know, you look uh, and I don't know how old you are. You look in your, you know, early, mid, late 20s, something along those lines. Um, Just just like, you know, <laughs> me and Brian, your your early 30s and stuff. But like a lot of people don't don't really ask those questions. And that that's really sad because, uh, you know, there's a wealth of information that you can get. And there's a lot of tangible benefits that are, you know, you know, kind of, you'll see them, they'll manifest in your life. Like, you know, if you're smarter, you're probably going to command a higher paying job. And that's always attractive to a lot of men. But there's also the benefits of just pursuing virtue and the benefits to your soul. And, you know, a lot of the peace and the, the, the you know, kind of spiritual prosperity that can come along with it. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that the ideas for me, I've always enjoyed philosophy and thinking about things. I, I know that in my study of the Greek philosophers, uh, some of the conundrums that they'd run across, like how do you ever get to, you know, anywhere? I forget who it is now that, that I'm talking about it, but the idea that you can't ever get anywhere because you're only ever just getting closer. If you get halfway there, then you get another halfway there. And he's like, so the conundrum is, do you ever actually get anywhere? And I just remember like, running through things like that like i would just think of a weird thing and just like run it in the ground and then and you kind of come out of it 10 minutes later and you're like i don't know where the heck i just went but <laughs> <laughs> and so i've enjoyed it and i found a really deep love for it in the last couple of years the more and more i read i feel like it just always gets richer and richer each time you dive into it and even if it's ideas that you don't agree with i think you know you can even really find a lot out of that too I read the Communist Manifesto, and you come a lot. You come away with a lot when you read it, even though I disagree with just about everything in it. <laughs> I, I think we're all in the same boat there. I remember in in high school, um, might be dating myself here, but uh, the election was going on my senior year, and uh, I think it was between Jim Carrey and uh, who was it? I guess George Bush, um, and. I don't know. I, w I was arguing for Jim Carrey. I'm not even really sure why. And then like a few, year la few years later, it's like, oh, I'm big on Ron Paul. And then I was like, <laughs> Barack Obama. And then Bernie Sanders. And then like, <laughs> I, I, so, I, and then I went to Trump and I was like, it was just all over the place. And I, I, I don't know. It's, I wasn't really thinking about things. I was just, you know, going wherever the wind blew and, and uh, not really looking into it. And I, I feel like that's what a lot of people do. They just, Whatever sounds good on on the soundbite on TV is uh, what I'm gonna follow. Mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, there's a huge portion of people who are kind of in that independent realm that, like, kind of sounds like what you're saying is it is there is those are the people who you can influence back and forth, and it sounds like you kind of wavered between the two a little bit, but it's 
there is a lot there are a lot of people who are willing to hear ideas and change their beliefs on it or kind of not be tied to I'm red or blue or I'm this or that and whatever ism it is. And so it's good to find those kind of people who do have an open mind and are willing to address a certain situation and a certain set of beliefs and take them and think about them particularly. And unfortunately, I mean, that's, that's becoming rarer and rarer. Brian, you and I were talking, oh gosh, I want to say earlier this week about how a lot of people, they, they just don't know how to disagree anymore. You know, and, and you and I have talked a, a lot before, particularly around the 2016 election, about, you know, the rise of identity politics and that sort of thing, where if you if you disagree with somebody in the same way that, you know, Nick can read the Communist Manifesto and disagree with it, you know, Nick, you can do that, and that's great, but a lot of people will do that, and they'll take it as, like, an affront to who they are, and that's, it's it's strange, it was strange at the time in 2016 when you and I were chatting about it, Brian, but it's become even more of a problem, and, I mean, first of all, that's a very unmanly thing, you know, you shouldn't ever really try to tie who you are to, like, one political philosophy, or you should never really try to tie yourself to the point where you are unflexible. Because that is, you know, that's when you're going to get into a lot of problems. But it's it's a shame what society is coming to in that regard because, it, you know, it it is really fueling the drive to become more and more partisan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I came across was Confucius had the idea. He said at one point that the Catholic or sorry, the supreme man is Catholic, not partisan, which is not Catholic big C, obviously, because mm-hmm. Christ hadn't been born yet. But um, he's talking about they approach things from the whole. They're not taking sides. They're looking at the whole picture and saying, what does this mean? And I think that if you look at all the wisest people that we look to, like, and I think you can learn a lot, too, from Confucius and Lao Tzu, um, the Greek philosophers, Marcus Aurelius, obviously, as a Christian, I think that there's a lot of thought there as well that looks at this as well. And when people pull themselves above the worldly powers and look at the actual problems at hand when you can have a real philosophical discussion with somebody, I think that you come to a much deeper knowledge and you come to something that's much more real than whatever, you know, particular news event you're talking about that obviously actually happened. But I think you get to a deeper level of real when you talk at the metaphysical level, when you talk at the philosophical level. And so, and I think that that's something in today's world with an infection of materialism. There's so many people who neglect the uh, power that that can have, I think, in enriching someone's life. I think the art that we have and everything has just been degraded in such a way that there, there's just a lot lost. And I think my hope is that pulling some of that out of history and talking about some of those things, we can help reclaim some of it. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is uh, you'll see some scientists like joking about uh how philosophy is dead and it's unnecessary and like Neil deGrasse Tyson comes to mind. But uh, I don't know, in my experience, it seems like a lot of people, they follow a certain philosophy without even realizing that they're following that philosophy because they haven't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and Neil deGrasse Tyson's one that to me, when he talks about physics and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And he's like, and that's why you can't like argue for an unmoved mover. And you're like, but my whole thing about the unmoved mover is that it starts before all this stuff. <laughs> you know? yeah. And we won a battle with Aquinas on whether or not the universe can be infinite. Because at the time, he said, it doesn't matter whether or not the universe always existed. It, there's still an underlying unactualized actualizer. All of his five proofs still work regardless. And I think that there's 
the problem is, is that science was always just knowledge, and there was a bunch of difference. Like Aristotle was a natural scientist. He looked at, you know, th- he looked at poetry and he analyzed poetry and literature and all these things. And so, as a philosopher, that was just part of it. Was his metaphysics and all of those things, and his virtue uh, and ethics and all of that that he did. That was just one part. And so, I think that so many scientists today, it's just been boiled down to material sciences. And I think they don't recognize that those are rooted in something deeper and, and they refuse to a lot of them. Although I've seen a lot of numbers that show that there are many, many more scientists than are shown. And when you look at news articles and stuff like that, that are believing Christians, especially in, and it's actually higher in the more cutting edge fields, like theoretical physicists. And these people are actually much more likely to be Christian than like your everyday biologist who's like study who's, or those, a lot of those people, at least, um, not that they can't be, or that they're less impressively intelligent, but <laughs> the cutting edge is kind of where actually it's heavily, more heavily Christian. Yeah, no, my uh, my godfather is a is a PhD in chemistry, and the uh, sponsor for our wedding, well, the the, the yeah, the, the sponsor for our wedding was a uh, is a PhD MD. So you know, and and that's that's not to, to brag or anything, but that's actually just it's a very skewed population, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we live in the. Uh, research triangle by UNC and Duke and, uh, you know, a lot of other great universities that, that spawn that. But I, I, th- I think you're absolutely right with that, Nick. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really gets me, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, is a great example. I don't want to pick on him, but a lot of people that, you know, kind of adhere to that level of ideology where they're using science as a bludgeoning tool, um, you know, to, to really attack Christians. First of all, it evokes Chesterton where, you know, he talks about an orthodoxy where a lot of people are against these things or, you know, they call the peasant who has seen a ghost foolish because they say he has seen a ghost. So they're arguing in circles. Um, and that's, that's really what a lot of the science scientific people are doing. They're saying Christians are dumb because they they don't believe or they believe, you know, in the unmoved mover, they believe in God, whatever it may be. They don't they don't follow them. And it, it has that partisan appeal that we were just talking a second ago that has really divided this country and really a lot of the entire developed world um, politically. But materialism and a lot of the way that the scientific community has moved, just it, it's become so ugly. Um, the world used to be, I don't want to say the world used to be very beautiful because I think that's a very romanticized view of the past. I don't want to say the, the middle ages were the good times, you know, I don't want to say they're bad, but you know, we, we just had an article by uh, our dear friend, Nathan Smith on the site about that, but there's a certain level of truth. You know, you have to kind of cut through all the mess and realize that it's not entirely good and it's not entirely bad. You just have to look at things truly, but there's a certain, there's a certain beauty that came in a lot of these old philosophies that have just been entirely lost when and you're just trying to reduce everything down to, you know, atoms and quarks and, and velocity and other types of movements and numbers and things like that. Because, you know, really, the universe, as Chesterton says, when you do that, actually becomes finite. You know, when, when it's a very magical and romantic place and it has that interaction with the supernatural, with the spiritual, with the, you know, beyond physical that's when it's infinite. That's when, you know, you can believe in fairies and all that other things. And, and it's a beautiful world that inspires men. But it, it's certainly interesting times we live in, to say the least. Yeah, that I, I actually just started reading The Great Divorce and that you kind of sparked something there with I, kind of the idea. And I, I don't want to give away what happens in the end, mm-hmm. people who haven't read it, but it's C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. And he uh, basically the idea is when you get to heaven where this 
when this guy goes on a bus ride and is in the afterlife, he's dead already, and he gets to heaven, and there's this mountain that just goes on forever, and he's in this big field, and it, like, hurts to walk on the grass because it's so, it's, like, heaven is such reality, and it's so real, and it's so rich that it's painful to interact with that first. And he comes to find that, like, basically what the goal is is to just keep going up this mountain and it's this continual journey upward. And I think that that's something that obviously hopefully you're starting on in this life, but it's something that I think we forget that you don't end in the next is that continual journey of fully enriching it the more and more you dive into it. Because, you know, as a Christian, if God is what we say he is, infinite goodness, infinite beauty, it's, you can't explore all of him. No matter, even if you have eternity, you can't explore all of that. And I think that there are Christians more and more um, that are pushing back on some of this. I think if you listen to Jimmy Aiken with Catholic Answers, I don't know, and um, his he has a mysterious world podcast where he'll dive into some scientific topics. I mean, he was doing one on like dark matter and the multiverse and things like that, and approaching it scientifically because he dives into this and he likes that stuff. But then he'll also talk about it from a religious perspective, and it's interesting to see some of these things, and it's not necessarily an incompatibility with the faith that you just have to, you know, and Catholic Church has been huge in funding science throughout the ages. I mean, George Lemaitre was a Catholic priest who founded the, uh, or found the Big Bang, or discovered the Big Bang, rather, and the father of genetics was a monk, I think it was Mendel, right? Yeah. And yeah. Was kind of, he was the one who had, does little xy chromosome things and you have to figure them out in like ninth grade biology i don't remember <laughs> exactly where for <laughs> i uh, i went into marketing not science not biology. <laughs> so but but yeah i mean it, i think it's a little bit short-sighted and i think that it's a lack of understanding of history as well people just hear that they locked up galileo and don't know the story and then obviously it's all anti-science ever since and it's a lot of rewriting, actually, by Enlightenment thinkers on what really happened, what the past really looks like. Yeah, I think we need to get back to the classical understanding of science, where it's not just natural science, but like science as a body of knowledge, because I think that makes a lot more sense with your approach to truth and understanding the world and reality. It's a lot more than just you know what you can do. Uh, in in a petri dish or you know using measurements yeah and i think that the way that it is now it lends itself to it because you have to be so specialized to move past the body of knowledge that we have now so if you're a researcher in you know chemical engineering i had a friend who is developing drugs at a pharmacy uh, pharmacy company here in indy and you know he had to specialize and do all this stuff and now he's only working on like one thing all the time and so you have to know that one thing really, really well, and you can see how deep that knowledge goes, but that doesn't mean that you have a broad knowledge. And I think that, like you said, it would be nice to have that again, because I think Pascal and lots of other people have had that sort of, uh, just know a lot of different things and know a lot on a bunch of different topics, and it gives their knowledge base just so much more richness. I think Roger Scruton is one of the last people who I could think of really had that yeah you you had a book review which i definitely want to link to below that came out recently on his uh what is it the soul of the world which is a wonderful book um by the late roger scruton sir roger scruton um 
he, he, he really is a great thinker. But, you know, I, I always say this, but my, my dream job would have been, and I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, though, my dream job would have been to be like an 18th or 19th century Anglican pastor because they only had one duty. They had, You know, they got this entire estate, and this is, you know, what, what Darwin's father wanted him to do, what, what a lot of uh, great, like, naturalists, you know, kind of the last true, you know, natural philosophers, so to speak, they, they had, and they would just read a sermon out of a book and then, okay, well now the rest of the week they get to read stuff. And I see that tongue in cheek because let's be honest, like that, that's the wrong way to do any job, let alone a job that <laughs> requires you to, to care for people. But, um, you know, having that time, um, which actually in many ways, the quarantine and being at home and, and having, you know, not a commute, having downtime at work and stuff like it's provided me able to, to to read a heck of a lot of books you know more than i typically do so it's it's definitely interesting but i i think the the idea of the renaissance man whether you're talking about like in science or in philosophy or really just in general i think that is it's an attractive image and i think that a lot of men need to work for that a lot of to me a lot of the renaissance man nowadays which you know at least if i'm looking at twitter or instagram seems to me like okay you're good with ladies you're good at the gym and you have a good car you know or a good job which leads to a good car but like <laughs> let's be honest that th- yes exactly you you smell well you dress well all those things and it's like I don't want to take away from that you know like you and i brian have talked about the podcast a billion times there's nothing wrong with that but to make that your end goal, you're going to be very empty in life. You know, I mean, and, and it's funny, Brian, because you and I were talking about this, uh, I want to say a couple of days ago. We've had a lot of great conversation these past few days. But, like, you know, when I got married, I, I realized, you know, after I've been married eight months now, I want to say, yeah, end of September. Um, so, I, like, I realized these past eight months that so much of my life, whether I kind of consciously or unconsciously, uh, was was moving that way or influenced by that was kind of based on the the idea of getting married, and that's not to say that like that was like my main overarching goal. But I realized I did a lot of things like I love wearing suits. I have a l- great collection of suits in my my <laughs> suit for my wedding. I'm not ashamed to admit cost about three times as much as my wife's wedding dress. Um, but like you know I don't really do that now because I'm married. I don't have that you know that real need. So I, I need to kind of find something else. But, but so many people. You know, like that emptiness that kind of I felt in a, you know, at least in a shallow level after these these past couple of months, um, a lot of men are going to find that, you know, whether you're trying to get notches on your bedpost, whether you're just trying to get a new fancy BMW to fill your, you know, three car garage or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a money can buy you happiness, but it can also, you know, it's a very fleeting existence and you're going to be guaranteed to feel empty during a lot of points in your life. I think a lot of what ties into that is our approach to education these days because at least for me it seems like the whole point of going to school is so you can get your skills to have a job and if that's the whole point like what happens when you get that job and it's not the most fulfilling thing in the world yeah i i have a lot of criticisms of the education system for sure my mom is actually a high school teacher and she doesn't love it when i to like rail against it but <laughs> but i but i do think that it is i mean i just so i know the school that i went to i went to a parochial school where you pay a good dollar to go to a catholic school and I, the reading list that my cousins had like my reading list was like you know if you're in doing american literature you have mark twain and this and that on there and you know nathaniel hawthorne and like real american writers and then 
there was like nothing on my cousin's reading list that was older than 50 years. And it, and it was like the most diverse thing that they could create. And I'm like, is this, what is this? I'm, I thought we were here to like prepare people for college. It's a college preparatory school. This is supposed to be like, I read more, I read Romeo and Juliet or not Romeo and Juliet. I read Shakespeare rather. I think every year of high school, at least one book, I think I read six books of Shakespeare over the course of my schooling. And it's like, that's a real enriching education there that you get. I mean, granted, when I, when I was in high school, I was spark noting Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was not the best reader. I've found my love for reading pro- like since high school. But, um, but I think that the conversations that you have, you get to still connect to what we come from. And I think that we're doing as much as possible almost to dis- disconnect uh, ourselves from our heritage. And the fact that you can get through high school without reading any classics that, I mean, it's crazy to think. I mean, 80 years ago, Thomas Sowell in one of the roughest neighborhoods was probably getting a more well-rounded education than, you know, my cousin was to, you know, in a very expensive private school in 2019. It's crazy. Well, it's, what's funny, and I don't know if you planned it this way, Nick, but you, the title of your blog and podcast, Conversation of Our Generation, you know, can mean having a conversation with this current generation about important things. But it also, at least to me, evokes the image of, you know, reading being a conversation between, you know, the author and the reader. And particularly when you're going across these past couple of generations, you know, and I'm not just talking about, you know, Shakespeare, but heck, going all the way back to Aristotle and Plato and, you know, really the earliest writings that form the well, what is widely considered the Western canon, the canon of, you know, of great books in the Western civilization. I mean, that's, that's an important thing to consider. And, uh, I, I, I've, you know, my, my reading was probably in high school, a mix of like what you described and what your cousin was. Like I read maybe Shakespeare two years and then my later two years when I was taking like the AP classes, which I'm going to use those in quotes. Um, those were a lot of those, you know, very diverse, like, you know, all of our authors were, you know, non-white and they were, you know, and I understood what they were trying to do, but I think that's a very damaging approach. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't read those books, but to, to champion them to the detriment of these books, which have been widely heralded or, you know, like there was, there was a recent post where I saw this somewhere. I feel like it was the Washington post or something where like a school system in Alaska of all places banned like five books. And it was like the great Gatsby. I want to say catcher in the rye, you know, and, and three other ones that maybe weren't as big as those, but it was because like, they didn't like that. It, you know, depicted certain things. And it's like, how can we get to a point in society where we are, you know, th- that's the first step in, to book burning in my, you know, in my opinion. Um, and you know, well, I don't really care if they burn catcher in the rye, who's to stop them from starting to burn Dante or things like that. Because I know that our current society has a lot more moral problems with Dante than they do with, with, you know, Salinger and catcher in the rye. Yeah. And actually the name for conversation of our generation kind of came from that play is that my goal was to take the history and the wisdom of the people that have come before us and take it in as much as possible and apply that to today's problems and have conversations that are rooted in the understanding and in the and the you know it's you know we're here standing on the shoulders of giants and people are looking down thinking that it's just like a half step down and it's not (laughs) you know if we jump off the shoulders we're on that's uh you're going splat and (laughs) so yeah, I think that it's very worthwhile to just 
recognize that. And, and my goal in the beginning was, yeah, to, to kind of just take out, to zoom out of the partisan lens, like I talk about and say, okay, like what would Aristotle think of this? Or, you know, just try to pull from things that I've been paying attention to. What would Machiavelli think about, you know, this political situation and try to look at it from just a different angle and, and put things in perspective historically as well, because we act like, you know, the whole world is burning down, you know, and I mean, as bad as this virus can be, you know, the Spanish flu killed like a, almost a whole percent of the American population. It's like 0.8% of the American population. This isn't coming close to that. And so even in numbers, but let alone percentage wise. And so it's like, I think it's good to remember kind of those things and just quell fears and realize that things are pretty darn good too at the same time. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think, you know, and, and Brian, you and I have talked about on the show before how reading fiction is a good way to, to grow in virtue because you're really taking, you know, if you're reading good fiction, you're taking the author's ideals um, that he's portraying in certain characters and, you know, it, you can apply them to your own life. But I, I think to the point Nick is saying, you know, even reading nonfiction, you know, whether you're reading philosophy or just, you know, straight up history you can you can really ground yourself in a way that can make you a much more patient man it can make you a much more just man you know and all these things heck can make you more prudent because like the response you're saying is is much more prudent than you see a lot of people on either side of the aisle you know talking about on facebook or twitter or god forbid you know some other uh, hellhole of the internet um as much as i hate it we need to continue using it um but yeah so like there's there's a lot of benefit to reading these old books and to reading them very well, um, particularly over a lot of the, the newer books, which may be flashy or sexier or, or, you know, have cooler covers or whatnot. But like the information in it is nowhere near as deep or as meaningful as what you'll find in these old tomes. Yeah, it makes me uh, think of uh, I think, Nick, you retweeted uh, Elon Musk. He had a quote saying uh, cancel cancel culture. Which <laughs> yeah. I, I I agree with that. I mean, it's it's we live in a very I would almost call it puritanical time where if if someone says something or they have a belief that you don't like, then you're gonna unfollow them. Or you're gonna try to get them fired from their job. And like, how do how do we get along with our neighbors if you know we can't even associate with them if they believe one single thing that we don't like? Yeah, I, I know. I, it's it's really frustrating to me to see that because the funny thing is like where I grew up, I mean, I still go over to my parents' house and hang out with them and like their adult neighbors and because they're kind of people I grew up with, but like I'll go over there, have some beers and like my wife is uh, still in nursing school. So she's still working as a waitress as well through that. And so Friday night, I'm like, well, I'm just here alone. I'll just go take the dog <laughs> to my parents' house and drink some of their beer and hang out for a little bit. And talk to them but they all have very different uh, beliefs on politics on a lot of different things and we could sit there and just have a beer and talk about it and i didn't i think it took me you know a long time to realize that that's an abnormal thing and and like my cousins i remember we can't play have you ever played the game in a pickle it's no yeah it's you have yeah so it's it's basically like you have four cards and you have to show like you have to put something inside something so it's like oh, the world is in, fits in a book because you can put it in a book. And so there was one time where we're no longer allowed to play that game because my cousin tried to put time inside space. And so <laughs> time, 
pissed within each other. And the board got flipped. Lots of words were said. But then it's like, after that, we're cool. And as long as it wasn't actually a game that we were playing, we probably would be able to have that conversation. But when it's for points, it was it was real. Um, but we were, I mean, we still will have conversations when we're together that get heated and loud sometimes. But it's not angry. It's impassioned and it's, you know, vigorous. But it's not, we know, we approach it with charity. We approach it knowing the other person has our best interest at heart and is sharing their ideas and hearing each other's ideas honestly. And I think that the maligning of other people's motives is a large part of why it's so hard to have those conversations. It's why people, because if you're on the other side, you're bad. And, and the other person thinks that of you. And so you can't find a way to mix. And I think it's in large part because of the internet, because you're no longer talking to a person to person. You're talking to, you know, an avatar, a Twitter icon. So it's really tough to see because I wish people could have those conversations. Yeah, that that also makes me think of uh, I think it was it was either a TED talk or some YouTube video um, about the filter bubble, like this concept that you know we're spending all this time on social media, and you know you're liking all these different posts and people are resharing things, but just by the design of, of the of the, uh, the the application that you're using, it's only showing things that you're going to like, like, and you end up getting inside of a bubble where you're only listening and talking to people that you agree with. And it's, it's very, it's not anything like what normal life is like out in the real world. One of the things that's interesting, and I, I know we tweeted about it, it was probably about a week and a half ago, is, you know, we noticed on our website that uh, we had a very big drop in Google traffic. I don't know if you've noticed anything like that, Nick, or you pay attention to stats. I'm an accountant. I like numbers. I look at them a little too anally sometimes. Um, but, uh, and it was Google changed their algorithm, and now whenever you Google, like, masculinity, you know, we're, we and other, you know, lo- much larger sites like the Art of Manliness or stuff are, aren't even showing up on the first couple of pages and, you know, all the things are toxic masculinity. So not only is the algorithm reinforcing things, but then you have the other side of the debate, which I think has become, you know, luckily I think a lot of people are realizing it now, but you have all these giant tech companies or media companies that are able to, to influence people. And so many people approach Google with like a library sense, like, okay, I can get whatever information I want, but when the library has an interest in you not finding certain information or they would rather you look at other information, you know, that's where, that's where you have to, to really question the sources of your information. And it's really hard with a program like Google, which isn't even a program. I mean, it's such an integral part of our society. I mean, Google has been a verb for the past decade and a half. And not only that, I mean, let's be honest, you know, who uses any other search engine? I personally use DuckDuckGo. I love it. I would recommend everyone else use it. But uh, it, it's it's crazy because, you know, the fact that we have private companies like this that are influencing not just, you know, your search results, but they're influencing really how you think. Um, and that's a lot of power to be wielding that even the kings, you know, the tyrannical kings of old did not have. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a lot. I haven't noticed that, but conversation and generation are kind of neutral terms today. <laughs> <Fair. laughs> oh, so I don't think I, I've been hit by that, but... I think uh, they definitely do have a lot of power to manipulate. And I think that the bubble that gets created is, like you said, it is just the algorithm working. It's not necessarily on purpose. And 
So it's not like a sinister thing for that, I don't think. It's just positive reinforcement. But I do think that it is... I think it's just hard to get people to realize that the internet isn't the real world. And so <laughs> when you're dealing with things there, it's it's not the way it actually looks. And for, But it does still have a huge effect in our life, and it does still take shape in some way. It does, I guess, manifest in our life in some form because we get so much information, like you said. Um, it's It's a big problem to solve, and I don't really know how to approach it because, you know, I'm kind of a libertarian person so i don't want to put regulations on a lot of these companies from like that's not my but i i also don't see a lot of good ways to get around it and you know i do see DuckDuckGo leading to my web traffic every now and then and i kind of giggle to myself because it happens like <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like a monthly occurrence it just happens every few months i'm like interesting that's that's new <laughs> but um but yeah I, I i don't really know where to go from there and i it's a that's kind of a problem that I think smarter people than I have to solve, and hopefully, you know, Elon Musk put some money behind it, and Joe Rogan now that he's leaving YouTube too, and those guys can maybe team up and do something <laughs> if anyone can. Yeah, it, it's you know it it seems to me, and this is just me spitballing here, that a lot of it really has to do with you know a lot of the potential solution could be like the the whole idea of free exit or really even something similar to like the benedict option which rod dreyer talked about where really the only way that you're going to come up with something that is a good way to to counteract these is if you basically i don't want to say completely withdraw i'm not saying we all should go to monasteries i mean heck if you want to do that then please do um you're probably you'll save your soul a lot better than you may in the world but you know if you if you are forming bubbles with people that are like-minded, you know, and having these levels of conversation where, you know, you're doing things like Nick is doing, where he's not just reading, you know, let's just say, uh, oh gosh, who's that Fox News anchor? Uh, Bill O'Reilly. You know, you're not just reading like Bill O'Reilly and that's your only source of information, not saying you would do that or you wouldn't do that, but, you know, you're having conversations with people and you can do that and you can kind of withdraw from these large public spaces that are basically social media or extensions of social media and uh, the media in general and you can you know, form these little communities. It's one of the reasons why we have a, you know, a Facebook group and Brian, you and I are always talking about ways that we can kind of promote brotherhood in both offline ways, but also ways that we can better promote brotherhood. Because as much as, you know, you, you don't really use Facebook at all. Um, you know, we, we've talked about things like Discord or Slack or, or things like that, because, you know, the more that we can make people uh, communicate more conscientiously and and kind of pursue brotherhood and these levels of community conscientiously, I think the better it's going to be for everyone. And the more that, you know, they can break free from a lot of these tech conglomerates without the level of uh, government intervention, which can have, you know, disastrous results sometimes. Yeah, I do think that there's definitely ways to create your own little code. Because the thing is, with the internet being so big, that and it spans the world, so you can create a brotherhood with people in, you know, 50 different countries, hundreds of you who are just communicating in a Facebook group or something like that. And I think... Um, one of the pocket, I'm kind of a prepper guy, and so the survival <laughs> podcast, I listen to him, uh, Jack Spierko, there a lot, and he's done a great job of finding a way to get a really active and mobilized group there where people are constantly, if you hop in there, it's like, hey, I put up a greenhouse today. I tried this new thing today. I just planted this this year, and it's doing really well. And so um, you can go there and just get 
a wealth of like on the ground information from people who are not even necessarily like minded, but have similar interests. It's not even, you know, it, people kind of tend to lean in a certain way, but there's kind of the hippy dippy people as well who are, you know, probably totally disagree with the prepper type people. They're super eco friendly, far left, and they're in there talking about it. And the politics probably driving crazy because it leans very libertarian, but it's, I think, uh, I think it's a good place to see. I think it's a good example of community happening online, and there's others that do it well. But it's it's sometimes tough to find that right niche. You just kind of have to settle in a few places and find a few like-minded people. And I think you can now, but it's it's definitely sometimes difficult <laughs> because they seem to want to shut it down and move it somewhere different every time you find a place. It's like <laughs> I had pages at Facebook, and then. Now you have to pay to see everybody in pages. And but we're starting groups. And it's like, what happens when I build up this group? Are you just going to pay to get access to them now? But who knows? Yeah, that's one of the challenges uh, or one of the challenges I think of when when you talk about like online groups is the, I guess the problem is that there's, you know, so many of them, you know, you could be in 20 different groups. Like, how do you form a community if you're trying to split your time with 20 different communities online. Yeah, but at the same time, you kind of have that in real life too. I mean, you have your high school friends, your college friends that you got to keep up with. And then, you know, you have the parish or you have, you know, you have your softball team, your golf buddies, you know, whatever that is. You know, I can picture a bunch of different groups that at least my parents as adults have had. Obviously, as a kid, you kind of have, all your different activities that you're in. I feel like I was just, I mean, you work a full-time job just doing all your activities as a kid nowadays, it seems like, but you do find your different groups and find ways to bring them together. But as long as you're, I don't know, not getting consumed by being in the internet, I think it's good to find the community there. But I do think it's always good to step out and just, I think this has been for me an eye-opening situation where, yeah, I've been working in my yard more. I got my backyard together looking good so I can sit out back. And, you know, when it's nice out, finally, it's been like 50 degrees here in Indiana all week and cloudy and rainy. But, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, it'll be like 75. And I can just sit out there, let the dog run around and enjoy it and just be at peace. Yeah, we're, we're excited. We're going to be taking this uh, quarantine to the next level. And uh, beginning of June, we're, we're starting Exodus 90. Have you heard of that, Nick? I'm sure yeah. you have, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we we decided, I think, today that we'd finally go for it. So there's uh, about 10 days from the date of this recording. So for all the other, other gentlemen that want to join us, uh, you know, definitely we're getting a little team together to do that and uh, make this quarantine kind of help us become the best men that we can be because, it, you know, that, that's something that's really important. And it's that's thrown around a lot, particularly on you know Twitter and Instagram and stuff where you have people talking about like, okay, you know, how are you using this quarantine to make yourself a better person? And, and I think that's kind of a, you know, it's a cliche. That's a very, that's a very good way to get likes on Instagram or hearts or whatever the heck they are. It's been a while since I've used Instagram. Um, but you know, that, that is a very good question that if you, if you are important about becoming a better person, you know, you have to ask yourself that at the end of every day, you know, whether someone on Instagram tells you to or not, and having that level of reflection, having that level of introspection is really important. So, you know, like this challenge isn't a, isn't really a competition, you know, it's not a way to 
to you know come out and have changed our lives. I remember writing a post. I, I really hate this notion of self-improvement that some people go into it thinking that, oh, if I just quit porn, then I'll be able to find a girl, get a good job and all these things. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but not, you know, like it's not a magic pill. You know, it's good that you're doing that, but that's not the only thing that you can be doing. And having this this consistent level of success. I got a book on the, the bookshelf behind me called uh, 1% Better. I forget who the author is, but you know, it's that, it's that consistency. It's that habituation. That's really, really key. So having this, this next 90 days with, you know, some gentlemen from our group, some gentlemen from Twitter and whoever else wants to join us is, is going to be a really good way, not just to, you know, kind of help each other grow as, as a community, but also to grow individually, which, you know, I think this time really, really calls to with the, with the, the pandemic yeah and that's the thing too is i think when self when people look at self-improvement as a means to an end it's i think it misses the point of what you're supposed to be doing which is you are constantly supposed to be trying to be the best you know best version of yourself but improve yourself and push yourself to the best of your abilities because that's what you're supposed to do not because it's going to result in something and it will most likely result in success because the better you become you're more likely to run into success but right. you should be doing it because your goal in life is to actualize as much potential as possible we are you know made as rational beings that have the ability to affect the world around us and so <clears throat> what jordan peterson talks about a lot is that our goal is to you know speak truth into being to speak things into being to go and create and the more you do that, even like even in Genesis, Adam was still working in the garden before the fall. We are made to create and nurture in the world around us and and build. And so, I don't understand the idea that you're just going to do it for. I mean, I understand it. I guess I should say I, I shouldn't say I don't understand, it, but I do think it's obviously nice to have wealth and all the things that go along with you know worldly pleasures, but. I think that there's, it's more rewarding when you're doing it for the sake of it. And I definitely know that for me, my big uh, self-improvement came along when I did meet now my wife, but I just thought, man, this girl's pretty awesome. When we were dating, I need to get my act together. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, I was just kind of like, man, we started dating, we were serious. I'm like, you know, what if I do get married and have kids? Like I wasn't going to church. I wasn't, you know, I was just like, I was like, man, and so like I went back to that. I just, you know, I just, I kind of buckled down and was like, I need to get back to my faith. I need to get back to really trying to be, you know, not just a butthead college kid and figure out what I want to do with my life in a more serious way. And so, you know, the only plan I had at that time was to work my way up the company that I was working at in a retail store and just, you know, be successful and enjoy it and whatever. But I think that things changed for me really fast. So sometimes you can have that as your catalyst for change instead of the other way around, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank God for that. You know, I think, I think that probably resonates with a lot of young men nowadays that are uh, either hoping for that or have gone through that themselves. I mean, I, I was not in that situation. I was, I, uh, I was always a, a man. I don't want to say mature for my years. I was always an old man stuck in a very young man's body. Um, I think that's a little more apt with all the aches and pains of age, even in a 20, when did I get married? 24. Yeah, I was 24 last year. Um, but yeah, so, it, but, but 
so many people, you know, definitely resonate with that. Um, and that, that's something that's important to see because, you know, it, it's good at the end of the day that you started doing self-improvement. It's better that you did it for the sake of your wife, for the sake of your future family, you know, and all of these other things. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to condemn people when I say, when I say there's a problem with self-improvement, I don't want to condemn people that are, you know, going to the gym, doing all these things. Cause it, it's like, we've said a billion times, like that's important. You should care about your health. You should care about, you know, your success. You should care about money and finances. It's not to say that, you know, money's bad or being, being muscular is bad. Like all that stuff's great. Brian, you do jujitsu. You know, I, I love doing personal finance. I love working out when the gyms are open. You know, I, we're doing a Spartan (laughs) race in November, fingers crossed that that's still going on. Um, you know, all of these things, it's, it's great. But at the end of the day, you know, Brian, you and I, we, one of the main reasons we started this is because it can be very empty if that is your, your, you know, your goal. If, if that alone is your goal, you're never going to reach that level of satisfaction. And we, we started off the show talking, um, I believe we started off the show, it may have been in the pre-show conversation, but Nick talking about, you know, one of the old philosophers talking, you know, how we're always getting there, but we're never reaching that end. We're always halfway there, you know, and then three quarters of the way there and so on. And I think if you approach life like that, it, it, you're going to, you're going to, you know, it's humbling to realize you're never going to be perfect. It's it's so humbling. But it also can make you realize, particularly when you look at a lot of the examples, you know, in Christ and the saints, in, you know, heroes of yore, um, you can see what this actualization is when people do try to, you know, put themselves and just use themselves and mold themselves in the best possible men and women. And, you know, there's plenty of rich people throughout history. You know, I think Rockefeller, Carnegie, Carnegie, um, those are two really great examples of people that are well-known that are rich. But I don't know if anyone looks up to them in the same way that they may look up to, say, Theodore Roosevelt, and they look up to him because of his characteristics, not because he was, you know, he had power. They look up to people like Cincinnatus, not because he had power for a short time, but because of his characteristics that, you know, made him do what he did and relinquish that power. And it's that level of virtue that is always going to be, you know, something eternal as compared to something, well, okay, you can be a rich guy, and that's cool, and you'll maybe get your name on a building, but that's about it. You know, it, it's, there, there's a, there's a very limited amount of ripples that ripple out because of these, you know, these kind of material things and, and having that the inner being is something that's going to resonate a lot more, particularly with your family and your community. And that's, that's what I think is, you know, one of the most important things and the most important reasons to work on yourself. Yeah. To use a cliche, it, it's about uh, realizing that you're on a journey because I, I think one of the challenges with, uh, the way that you know some people approach self uh, improvement is like okay, well, I need to reach this certain goal, and it's good to have goals, but like then you get to the end of it and, and you're asking yourself, wait, why did I do this? Like what, 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 uh, what do I do now? And I, I think that can throw a lot of people off. So like for example, what happens when you don't uh, get the success you're looking for? What happens when a pandemic? comes around and you, you know, you lose that dream job that you're work, looking for, or, you know, you can't go out and, and be with your friends and do all the fun things you used to do. Like, I think it's, it's something that has to be a lot deeper than just, you know, a, a checkbox that you're checking off. Yeah. I know that for me, like one of my heroes growing up, not growing up, but like 
probably high school, um, was Leonardo da Vinci. I just thought that it was so cool that he could be such an amazing person in every single way. It seemed like he was, he was supposedly from what they say, like really physically, like in good shape, like solid, like was strong, like Bruce Lee strong. But at the same time, (laughs) an amazing painter was like, you know, obviously a genius inventing helicopters, basically based on theory and drawing up specs that like almost work and had parachutes before you could even fly. And it's like, that's such an imaginative person, such a creative person. And that to me was kind of what I looked up to is he's probably, there's very few people who I think held most of the wealth of human knowledge in their time. And he's definitely, he's definitely one of the few that's been able to do that, I would say. And so that was for me, kind of my person that I strove towards. And as far as like self-improvement goes, I think we always, the way I look at it is perfection is the asymptote and you can never get there, but and no matter how long you have, you can't get there. But the more and more you move towards it, the better and better off you're going to be. The, you know, you're going to have things that ripple out from there. But if you can picture just, you can never get to that one perfect you can't hit it, but the more and more you hit it, go closer, you're going up and up faster and faster. And the littler improvement, the small improvement becomes more of an effect the further and further down you go. Yeah. As a calculus nerd, I love that image of the asymptote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For well, sure. awesome. Uh, so Brian, we are nearing the, well, we are, we just passed the 51 minute mark. It feels like we just started this conversation. Um, did you have any other questions for Nick or we can start getting some final thoughts here? Yeah. I was just curious. Um, uh, what, uh, what plans do you have, uh, going forward for, uh, for your project there? Uh, do you got anything in the works? Yeah. So I'm currently, uh, working on a couple of different longer form I guess kind of ebooks, mini ebooks. Um, one on property rights and how I think things are going to be changing there. And then the other one, I did a series over Christmas, I guess through December and into Christmas time about the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to try to distill that down because I think there's a big problem that I'm trying to tackle with taking the truth of life or taking the world around us, arguing in favor of the fact that there is objective truth. And then arguing in favor from that on the moral order and that there is a way of these ideas become incarnate and in our lives and that the moral order is lived out the same as any other science. And I think it's a, it's a project that I'm trying to undertake and try to wrap my mind around, but I'm trying to work through that. And so that's something that I'm probably longer term, but in the short term, you know, working on those, but mostly just keeping going with the podcast and trying to have more and more discussions like this. So people who are wanting to have me on or want to come on the conversation of our generation, feel free to let me know if there's any of your listeners who are interested because I'd love to, I'm sure that anyone who's listening is real sharp. So um, I'd love to hear from people and just get more and more conversations going too, because I feel like it's been me talking into a microphone and well, that's not much of a conversation. So <laughs> I'm looking we may forward have to, to, uh, uh, to the, those books you got coming out. That sounds yeah. uh, really interesting. They, they sound great. We may have to hook you up with one of our other authors, uh, the aforementioned Nathan Smith. He's, uh, I think you and him would get along pretty well. But um, we'll, uh, we'll 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 do some talk behind the scenes. Uh, we we still got to get Nathan on this show for I know he's listening. So um, 
that'll well you'll be getting a message maybe even before this episode comes out but uh that that's that's awesome and we, we definitely look forward to that and you you've produced a lot of good content recently and we we definitely like uh getting these cross posting and sharing not not just for the seo benefits and all that fun stuff but uh <laughs> it really is that you know that that kind of transfer of ideas and and we we definitely share a lot so it, our audience has found it really beneficial they loved your posts um if our comment system was working i feel like there would have been a couple more comments that have remained up but for whatever reason i'm gonna let brian handle that i'm i'm the art guy he's the uh you know background uh coding tech guy so i i don't know what is going on with that man but um yeah so this has been a really awesome conversation nick do you have any final thoughts sir or no i just appreciate you guys having me and Definitely, for anyone out there, check out conversationbygeneration.com. You can find me on Twitter, at ConnorBarGen, Facebook. Just search it there. It's a long URL, but I'm sure the guys will link it up and everything. Um, Absolutely. Definitely check it out and join the conversation. If you have any ideas that you want to share, definitely get in touch with me. My DMs on Twitter are open, so if people want to put content up, let me know because I'm always open to new things. Yeah, it was yeah. great to have you on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, gentlemen and, and ladies, I, I should, we do have a decent contingent of ladies that listen to the show, which is awesome. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to this podcast. It, it's always great to have you on. Um, we would just like to give our typical spiel for the, the last minute. Uh, definitely leave us a rating review. We really like the feedback. We've gotten a lot of great feedback over this past almost year, and it's really helped us improve the show's quality, helped us kind of solidify our direction for the future. And uh, we, ha- we definitely have a lot of things in the works that are a result of uh, some of your feedback. So uh, check out our website, which is where you can actually find a link in the show notes to that. Um, check out our Facebook group, which uh, find a link in the show notes to that. Check out our Twitter, which is in the aforementioned show notes. There's a lot of things in the show notes, which is a great resource for really just all the information that we've, we've talked about in this wide-ranging conversation. So thank you again for listening, ladies and gentlemen, and we always want you to remember that virtue makes the man. Have a good one. And so that wraps everything up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let me know in the comments on the blog, on social, wherever, just so that I know that these are valuable things for you. Pardon me. For you and the audience, for you as an audience of this. And I really think that these conversations could be great, extra content, really productive as well. And so if if you enjoyed it, let me know so that I can make sure to do more of it. And so... Again, thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation for Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. Talk to you next week.